0: this is the pro america report on the answer san diego
1: welcome 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 ed martin here on the pro america report great to be together we got a great interview coming up with Eddie scary of the federalist thefederalist.com about a piece he wrote on transgender uh, transgenderism and and an interesting detail he listened to a podcast of the new york times reporters and um and he uh uh the um and, and his, um, his, what he discovered was he got more context for the coverage of the article, the articles that he was uh, reading. Uh, he got more details. And it's a very interesting uh, idea. In other words, doing sort of analysis of what's written by listening to the authors who almost always want to talk about their stuff on podcasts. So anyway, we'll talk about Eddie Scar in a few moments. Uh, and we've got a lot more. Hey, what do you need to know today? what you need to know today today is an interesting day and i want to start by telling you a story and then i want to finish by tying it into what is the big news of the day okay so the first part of the story is i got to the office early uh today i'm in i'm in the swamp i'm in uh, washington dc and so i um i am uh, i i went for an early morning walk and i like to do that get out it's a nice day today it's a little bit cooler and i'm walking so i walk out and um I get to the to Union Station, not far from my, our office, which is up on Capitol Hill, the office of the Philish Slaugh the Eagles. And um, there uh, are a whole bunch of tents. And what has happened over the last few months, uh, maybe six months, is that the DC uh, powers that be have pushed all of the homeless people, or not all, but but homeless people, out of some of the areas you'd see them in neighborhoods, and they've ended up at the at the at the Union Station, at the, uh, uh, right there, not a few blocks from Capitol Hill, from uh, from the Capitol actually. And so, uh, as I s- stood there, and I was like, wow, I was counting them, you know, they're like forty, fifty, I don't know, 40, I think I got up to forty three, and I stopped counting uh, of these tents, real. Tents, tents with um, with rain covers on them, like real, you know, substantial. In fact, I noticed that the grass on which they pitched their tent was cut around them like they had you know cut the grass around the tent uh pegs and the and the the uh tent lines the lines coming out of the tent and i stood there and i started i was getting kind of uh, like amazed and so let me flash back another story about three years ago my family and i went to uh, verona italy uh to go to the uh, world congress on the family i was giving a speech there and so we all went over as a family and and at one point we went into the train station at milan to rent a car or the, the the rental car was right next to the train station, Milan. And we'll, so we took the train, the, the subway from in Milan to the main uh, like union station of Milan and came up the steps and we were confronted with in front of the station not just dozens, but hundreds and hundreds of men living in a, like a tent city, really much bigger than even DC. And at one point it's midday, it's like 10 10 30 in the morning, 11 in the morning. And we're walking past this group, this massive sort of city block, open park full of people. And there's a man 30 or 40 feet away. I didn't point him out to my family. We're all walking, kind of just walking briskly to a few blocks away. He was, he went to the bathroom right there, just, just went right there. Didn't particularly go hide behind a tree or anything, just went right there. So and I I wow, Milan, you know, what is this crazy? And they have an immigration issue in Milan, a, a broken system where people can get into uh, Italy, into Europe, and they and they're just have a, a lot of people and a lot of um, inability to handle it. So I'm standing in front of Union Station in, in D.C. Uh, early this morning, and I'm saying to myself, this system looks like it's broken they haven't addressed the mental health issue. As I'm standing there, a man climbs out of his tent, and he clearly had mental health issues, probably substance abuse issues, but mental health issues. And, and, and I thought to myself, we, there's no, nothing is being seriously done when you're just pushing these people all over town. And think about how in our great nation, our great American capital, a few blocks from the Capitol building, you've got a tent city. I, it, it's, it's, it's clearly the system is not working. The system is not addressing the problem, which brings me to what happens. What should happen when systems aren't working is you change your approach. You know, our our other guest today on today's program is Todd Bensman. We will get an update on the border and the system is not working in this country on our border, but we're not changing it. We're not adjusting. We're going to keep going. It looks like we'll get an update on that. But so my point here is what you need to know is we have a set of problems that it looks like we've stopped even trying to change our approach. Because if you were serious about what's happening, you would say to yourself, I'm going to change the way we're doing this. I'm going to change the uh, approach that we're taking to this and see what we can do to make it better. And the example I have there is we're in the midst now of full-blown inflation, it, 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 since a year the numbers came out earlier today that we're, we're in full-blown inflation in fact it's being spun so pathetically by the media they're saying you know if you take out the uh, highly volatile areas of food and energy uh the inflation is still a record high what if you take out gas uh, uh, gas and food that's where we all feel it the most and my point is the system isn't working what's not working And the number one thing that's not working in this country right now is the fact that we have a president who decided that his policies would be to make America not energy independent. So we would be relying on other nations. We would be relying on other nations. And then we're in a war. There's a war going on. We're being pulled into it or pushed into it by our own leadership. But to be that as it may, that's disrupting the energy, uh, uh, the energy resources in the country too. So we have a a set of decisions, a system that is being used to our detriment and no one is adjusting it. I, I actually have been arguing for a number of years now. You've heard me say it, that Uh, Social media plus the 24-hour nature and not just even the 24-hour, like the the 60-second nature of social media and attention and all makes it so that you you get faster results, you get faster shifts, you get faster changes because you can see what's happening and you can have adjustments happen quicker in real time. But maybe I'm wrong about that because what appears to be happening is when there's major systems failing, the, the powers that be will just... Ignore the the blowback and keep plowing ahead and hope that people forget about it. And so w- w- inflation, you, you can you don't have to you don't have to do a survey to, for people to tell you that they're feeling it. You don't have to do a, a, a poll tested focus group anything, but people are feeling it and we're not changing our approach we we're not taking the serious approach and part of it is because we're sort of Balkanized that uh, that people are you know going to always fight and, and it, but part of it is just that the powers that be don't care to change. And so we are faced with a system inflation energy costs are going up, food costs are going up, it's not going to stop. And have you I have an 18-year-old daughter, you know I have uh, I have uh, four children and the oldest is 18. She's going to get a summer job and she put her put the word out she had a summer job. She she's got Job offers all over the place to work as a waitress to work as a you know as a entry level work because they need workers, so it's not that there's not lots happening, but the point is the fundamentals are off, and nobody's changing it and meanwhile. Or similarly, on a similar track, here in the swamp, you have more spending happening. You have more spending. I mean, I could bemoan, and I did, I did it yesterday. I would so say it again. We're, we're, we're going to spend 33 more billion. dollars. Joe Biden wants it for the Ukraine war, giving money to Ukraine, and, and again, poorly managing it, I'm sure. But, but be that as it may, we, we spend hundreds of billions, trillions, on all the COVID stuff. We're just printing money. We, we just are making it up as we go along, and no one is changing the system. No one, and perhaps in the fall, you'll get Republicans that will change the direction, try to change the system. But right now, what you need to know is we're stuck with leaders that won't adjust in part because I think they don't want to be embarrassed that they have to backtrack, but in part because I don't think that they mind. I think that they're in a bubble. They're in a cocoon. They're in a, in a world where they don't mind that the rest of the country is being impacted because they have a vision of what they want to do, whether it's green energy, I don't know, is that—is that supposed to be the solution? We have a few more electric cars, we'll get some electric charging stations, that's going to change the economy. By the time we get to the electric cars charging stations that were in one of the recent bills, they'll be built in the next 18 months, the economy will be in the tank by then. We haven't even seen interest rates go up, which are coming this year, the Fed has already said. And once they go up, the economy is going to take another sh- a jolt. This is real. It's serious. And the one solution that you can see available is to return us to energy independence, whether it means drilling on public lands, whether it means changing the EPA requirements, whether it means going to the clean, the uh, safe nuclear, whatever it means, we ought to be trying it because just like standing in front of union station and seeing that we pushed the homeless people from all over the northeast section of dc into one place didn't solve a problem at all didn't solve any aspect of the problem except maybe that the neighborhood where they were before didn't like having them didn't like having people there but just like that we see the numbers inflation back up again this was the announcement of the numbers inflation way back way up people are feeling it and you know <laughs> the powerful protected by the swamp and their swamp jobs and the wealthy protected by the fact that they have enough wealth are going to do okay. And we, the people are getting short, short changed. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with uh, Todd Benzman uh, and also Eddie scary. Be right back. Ed Martin here in a pro America report back in a moment. (laughs) welcome back welcome back Ed Martin here on the pro America report our next guest I, I read him over at the Federalist where he is the DC columnist swamp columnist at the Federalist and you go to the uh, Eddie scary is also the author of privileged victims privileged victims how America's culture culture how America's culture fascists hijacked the country and elevated its worst people I think I wrote that down wrong but uh, I'll get that title right and we'll'll uh, we'll welcome Eddie there's a piece that ran Eddie uh, scary wrote uh, on the and the Federalist.com, and the title of which is uh, New York Times Admits, this is a big moment: colon, experimenting on trans kids has horrifying, irreversible consequences. So, first of all, welcome, Eddie. How are you? Doing good. Happy to be here. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on. So, first of all, how uh, I know you're being sort of tongue in cheek, by the way, that the uh, the um, uh, when you say that the New York Times admits what you mean, walk us through what you mean, because basically they had to say what happened, what the facts are. And therefore, they're kind of admitting against their uh, interest, it seems. But walk us through this. This is important.
2: Sure. Yeah, this is. Uh, I drew this drew this piece together after listening to um, a podcast that the New York Times puts out called The Daily, which actually I do recommend to people. You you oftentimes find certain admissions and reporting um, that you won't find in the actual newspaper or the online reporting of the Times itself. Huh. Um, in this particular one, it was a it was a two part episode about the uh, what's going on in Texas and how. The, um the Abbott administration has directed his health department to uh, treat any 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 parents who are putting their, their children through hormone replacement therapy or, or any medical procedures surgical procedures related to transgenderism to treat that as child abuse. Um, but in this particular podcast they were they were also featuring uh, a trans a trans boy so this is a, a girl who claims to be claims to feel like a boy. Um, named Grayson, not even 18 year, years old by the, by the time this podcast came out. I think it came out a week or two ago at this point. Um, and Grayson's mother, who is a lesbian, hmm. and th- basically just talking about how, what the transition process has been like for Grayson. Grayson has, has been placed on uh, puberty blockers plus um, testosterone, which has deepened her, deepened her voice. Given her facial hair, two things that are completely irreversible. Uh, that they, they they even admit that in the podcast. That that, that's by the admission of uh, Grayson and her mother, um, and the the New York Times reporters who are who are reporting this out are also admitting um, that there are no real long. There's no real long-term studies or research on what happens to children who are who are uh, have their have their puberty stunted? Have their hormones replaced with the opposite sex hormones? Um, and this is this is again something you do not see in the national media that pushes the idea, pushes the narrative that uh, hormone blockers are fine. It's all totally irreversible. Well, it's not. And if you listen to this podcast, I think it'd be anyone who listens should be horrified.
1: Uh, we're talking with Eddie Scary, and when you read this piece, um, that uh, here, so here's the interesting thing. I, I want to pull back for a second because you're you're a, a columnist and a journalist. Um, What you said about listening to a podcast about the coverage, I I tell people I I always go to Politico in the morning because I want to see how the left is thinking. And if you know sort of how to read into it, you can see sort of what they're justifying, what they're kind of spinning a little bit. But this is a new brand. This is a new uh, uh, idea that if you you go to this podcast and I did not realize this, the daily is, is the name of the podcast. You can then sort of hear what they really meant. Right. Because if you read the New York Times piece, it's the writing. It's not quite as well. It's not nearly as explicit as what you hear when they're rolling through stream of consciousness talking. I, I, I suppose in some ways that's a this is a helpful byproduct of every journalist having a podcast.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, because what this podcast does, uh, not all the time, but much of the time is, for example, uh, with the Ukraine, what's going on with Ukraine, the, the, the host of this podcast, who used to be a writer at the New York Times, now he just does this podcast. Um, he will host the, the, the person at the, near at the paper who actually reports on this stuff, uh, you know, he, for the Ukraine issue, he got the, the Moscow bureau chief and that, that person then explains how, what, how, how he goes about his reporting, et cetera. And I think you really do, just as you said, you get a better idea of what they think and what they really know versus the way it is, is framed in the paper.
1: Yeah, it's um it's fascinating. That's so back now for another another part of this. Um it, because and I, we're talking about Eddie Scary, and again he writes at the Federalist dot com, um, and he is the uh DC columnist. And so you're writing, you're not only a reporter. I mean you've been a journalist and all, but in here you're you're taught you mentioned at one point they they comment on the fact that I guess this child that's transitioning or she's decided or I I don't know how you phrase it. You're the line that made me kind of chuckle out loud is you said you're you said you're writing your way. I'm way past the age of puberty. And even I don't know if I want children. How does a kid all of 12 years old may not even know how to have sex yet? know herself. I mean, again, they're sort of exposing themselves how ludicrous this is.
2: Right, because then I was referring to something that the, the New York Times reporter said in this podcast. Uh, which is one of the one of the un, unknowns about putting children on puberty blockers is how it affects their infertility. Does it does it, does it affect the maturation of of eggs? Uh, does it of a females eggs? Does it affect the maturation of um, male sperm? Um, and and that is a big unknown and probably the most consequential part of this because there are many many cases and there there that's publicly available. You can even There was one recently, even in, in the Washington Post, where a trans woman, so this is a man who now identifies as a woman, got uh, surgery, To I always refer to it as genital mutilation, uh, before he even ever had sex. And he, he admits in the Washington Post that it's, it's not pleasurable, I don't know what, what, what it would be like to have pleasurable sex, because I never had it before I even had this surgery. And basically just demonstrating the regret of, of going through this process and believing that he should have been much older. And he was 19 at the time he got this procedure. Uh, and he says that he, he regrets that he, that he didn't wait longer. Um, if he doesn't regret all altogether getting it. Um, but, you know, you look at uh, a young, a child, literally a child putting them on, on therapies and pumping them up with chemicals that stunt their, their natural course of biology um, that could impact their their ability to have children and they don't know if they want to have children. I mean, if you would have asked me at that age, I certainly didn't know if you asked me today, I still don't know, (laughs) but I, at least, I, at least to my knowledge, have the, have the option (laughs) if I would like to.
1: Yeah. We're not doing therapy for Eddie scary yet. We'll do that in another show, but, uh, but anyway, but back for one second um, to the coverage of this story, I'm reminded right now of, because I've, I've done a bunch of interviews on this, on, on immigration and how it feels like the White House doesn't really care that everybody in the country doesn't want our immigration border to be wide open. Even Democrats, even elected officials are like, what are we doing here? What's going on? And what I mean by that, when I say that, it's, it's it feels like most of the country doesn't want this kind of thought and this kind of direction uh, to children it doesn't feel like a lot it's like a split issue where it's you know 40% of the country thinks yeah let's just have everybody transition when they want kids do it you know as surgery and all and then 40% say no I want to be true feels like most of the country finds this disturbing and yet it's being covered and being allowed to happen regularly am I missing the disconnect or am I just in my own bubble
2: well it's portrayed always in the national media um, outside of this podcast, and even even the podcast was, uh, I would say, framing this in a very sympathetic way, which isn't to, isn't to say that I don't have empathy for um, the people who, who who have this who have this issue, this gender dysphoria. I do. I feel very sorry for all of them um, because it is it is a um, I can I can imagine it's a very depressing situation, but it is it is only portrayed in a way that is you should have full full acceptance, acceptance and sympathy for these people and no matter what they want to do. And in fact, you should celebrate anyone who, who believes that they should be quote unquote transitioning. Um, that's the way it's always portrayed. And so I think the natural tendency of people who, who you know, the, the, the average person probably doesn't know a single transgender person, but when they see this kind of coverage in the media and the way it's portrayed, in, uh, no less in, in Hollywood, Hollywood entertainment is, well, I guess this is the new thing. I guess this is, this is how you should feel because this is, it's kind of sad and I should only, I should only do things that that affirm this person. But when you get into the details about um, stunting their puberty, what the long-term effects it might have because we don't know, but other things about um, lasting depression, lasting mental issues, um, future regret that these that especially when it comes to children that they might have as they get a little bit older and say You know what I, that was a phase that I went through i didn't i didn 't quite know what was going on i 'm actually i 'm not a trans boy i 'm just a lesbian uh, or maybe I, you know I was just a child who liked playing dress up Those things do happen and it happens it, it 's not infrequent i don 't believe that it 's um, you know most of the time or even even half the time, but the fact that it happens at all in insignificant ways that is enough to say, you know what, we're, we're going to, you know, sympathize with you, we're going to put you through therapy, we're going to treat you the best we can. But when it comes to messing with their chemicals, their bodily, uh, their natural body uh, chemi- chemistry, um, that is a part where I think people when they if they were to really hear about it and think about it the way that they should be the way that the media should be reporting on this. I believe that most people would say, yeah, that's something that we should be holding off on. Maybe not putting, maybe not stopping the puberty of a 12 year old.
1: Yeah, uh, we're talking with Eddie scary uh, la- Last question, Eddie, uh, and his piece is over at thefederalist.com. dot com. Um, you write on a lot of topics, right? You said you 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 write on. You're not afraid uh, to write on things and, and and subjects that are controversial. When you write a piece like this, do you get a lot of grief? You know, in, in the world of. And by the way, I should say you're on Twitter uh, c- uh, at e scary c um, at e s c a r r y. Do you get a lot of grief? Do people do, do people jump in and kind of give you like the 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 real run uh, run at you as uh, being a hate monger? um it 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 has happened on occasion
2: because i live in washington dc where it's just intensely liberal i have run into situations where um if 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 they didn't didn't necessarily recognize me or read my work but if i've said something and it has been overheard in public um there are people who have wanted to pipe up and say something um when it comes to uh, my writings and what I sometimes when, if I share it on social media occasionally on, on like if I share it on Instagram friends or something might say something like that to me But I think enough people have realized at this point and I would I would say this goes for everyone at the Federalist that there is no getting to us <laughs> There is no getting to us because we have this we are not uh, People who just write things and pop off. We are very we are a very thoughtful crowd and what we say is because we, we one, 100 percent believe it. And two, we have looked up every reason that we shouldn't believe it and figured out whether it's whether <laughs> right. it's right or wrong. And we know that we're, we are very confident that we're right. So coming at us and tweeting at us or anything doesn't that else I might say, doesn't it do. doesn't
1: work. Well, but on this one, Eddie, though, on this issue, the transgender stuff, do you find it? Does the energy pop up, though, of people popping off? You know, just even just anecdotally, is there there more? Sometimes like if you in the past, if you write on a certain issue, you'll get a lot of grief from the left. Do they give you grief on this or does it stay quieter? I have heard you know,
2: some concerns. I've heard concerns from people who believe that um, I'm lacking a certain sympathy for for the trans children and the trans people. Um, What I say to them always is, you know what? I start with, from the assumption that we all sympathize with, with these people. Let's now get to the policy matter. Let's now get to the part where we're, we're talking about loading children up with uh, puberty blockers and changing the, ch- changing their biological chemistry. Right. So let's just skip past the part that I I know we already feel sympathy for this. Right. Um, and you know that's the only that's the only thing I can say, and that's probably the only. The only yeah. blowback I get. Otherwise, I think that most, especially because it's a lot of parents who read this stuff, they're, they're very, very supportive of the work yeah. that I'm doing.
1: All right. Eddie Scary, thank you for taking the time to come on with us. Uh, again, I'll put it up on social media, at eScarry with two R's on Twitter. Uh, appreciate it very much, Eddie. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with Todd Bensman. I mentioned earlier in the program, Todd Bensman, of course, is over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, Senior National Security Fellow over there. uh, And he is down at the border quite a bit. He's tracking things. He's been a, uh, he hasn't been a canary in a coal mine. He's been a, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, town crier. He's been the national crier out there for months uh, and saying, hey, uh, pay attention down here at the border to what's going on. So uh, welcome back, Todd Howard you I'm doing great. Glad to not be the canary. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so um, I, I will say this. The national media does seem to now be covering the um, Title 42 shift. You've been co- talking about it for months, um, and, and May is when it would change. They are paying attention a little bit more, um, and now Democrats are making more noise, I think because they're really worried about the politics of it. Wh- what's happening with the national conversation on the border? Do you do, Is it really shifting, or am I just hoping?
3: No, I think it is really shifting because it's the Biden administration and Democrats who are now coming out, uh, making noise about it and worried about it. The administration came out with some reporting saying that, you know, they are having to prepare, like physically prepare for as many as 18,000 migrants a day. and. That's something that's beyond the American experience. I mean, we're already beyond the American experience now with the numbers we've got pushing 3 million since inauguration. But uh, now this is something that I think they realize is a political extinction moment for them, and they're worried about it for the midterm. So uh, there are Democrats, uh, senatorial uh, incumbents, Uh, who are coming out against lifting the Title 42 just because of the optics that that what, what will happen to them in their elections, that they could actually lose the Senate. Democrats would really significantly lose the Senate over this. So now the media is paying attention.
1: Uh, we're talking again with uh, Todd Benzman, uh, CIS dot org. Your Todd Benzman, and also his uh, book, of course, America's Covert Border War. Um, I-, I heard a commentator, Todd, by the way, um, describe. There was I think that one of the newspapers, New York Times or Washington Post actually did quote and they said something like, um, you know, 23 people last year from the terror watch list were detained at the border. And whoever the commentator was said, but they didn't tell us where they were from. Are they Mexican? And I laughed and I thought, well, Todd could tell you his book on that subject. But <laughs> but it, that story, it seems to be getting a little bit more attention. Uh, I, I don't know whether you feel that uh, if you've noticed that.
3: Yes, I have uh, now. <laughs> So that's that's funny that somebody thought that they, they didn't know what the nationalities were. <laughs> and they, right. they they said that out. They right. said that out loud. But, um, yes, this is uh, fairly standard. It's it's uh, I've always reported I, I report in my book that every year we get about 20 uh, people, migrants crossing the border or attempting to cross the border who are on the FBI's terrorism watch list. So this is in line. But the, there was a new piece of information to that, which is uh, there was a congressional inquiry from Chip Roy's office, Congressman Chip right. Roy's office, right, right. who actually said the number is 42 in mm. 2021, that 42 terrorist watchlisted migrants crossed the border, uh, which is really alarming if that's the case, uh, because we have probably 650,000 migrants have gotten away un detained through the border when it's in, it's in complete chaos and cry, crisis. So all systems, America's covert border war are, you know, derailed at the moment. Hmm. So uh, the, the, the threat of that sort of thing is, is elevated. And uh, the reporting is out there that and th- these are just people who are watch listed. There are plenty of other people from those countries that are crossing over the border who are not watch listed, who might very well also be a danger in the same way.
1: Uh, again, we're talking with Todd Benzman, CIS.org, CIS.org. If you go to his author page, you'll see his writing uh, uh, posting there. All right. So Todd, um, we, Todd Benzman, we, we're at the moment now. We're about four weeks, five weeks from title 42 um, expiring. I think that technically, um, and you just mentioned that the border is chaotic, but what's, what's the prospects for a change? I mean, okay, we're getting coverage of it and everybody's seeing what you've been saying for six months or longer. Uh, but what are the prospects of a change?
3: Well, I think that, that we won't see the lifting of title 42 on May 23rd. Like oh, they're really? saying, really? I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get the feeling. I'm not willing to bet a paycheck on it just yet, but <laughs> okay. there is, there is talk. Of delaying this, uh, at least I mean, and cynically, right uh, until after the November midterms, oh. they you oh, know I they'll see. come up with they'll come up with some kind of a uh, there's a new variant, uh, you know, some pretext to to delay it just another couple months, just a few more months, you know, because like I said, this thing is really an extinction event. If you have twelve and eighteen thousand people a day, five hundred and forty thousand a month. All those television crews are coming back from the Ukraine-Russia border to cover ours. You can't avoid this thing. This is going to be the biggest story in right. the country when that happens. And I think that they just have to avoid that. So I don't know. I'm getting close to betting that paycheck that it's not uh, going to happen.
1: <laughs> well, and so so that, that stops that, but that doesn't change anything else at the border, right? No, it just means that
3: it's delayed. Uh, after the election, you'll have it. Uh, you'll have that same crash uh that wave crash but but also it's almost too late because the anticipation in, in, within the aspiring migrant world is already set set it off, so they're already just smashing mm. over the border they are swamping, drowning everything down there already they can't keep up with just the anticipatory uh, crash o- over the border that's happening right now, uh, they, they, they can't in many areas even carry out Title 42 right now because the Border Patrol agents are too busy processing them all in. <laughs> and so they can't even load them up and bring them back to the bridges uh, now. So, I mean, in effect, there are areas, uh, in the, in the, especially along the Texas border, where Title 42 is already effectively over. So I think it may even be, too. I think the genie may be out of the bottle there.
1: Is the um, so uh, is the uh, the politics of it uh, overwhelming? Um, If it's overwhelming, as you mentioned, they're going to delay the Title 42. Is there any chance that it's going to overwhelm the general policies of Biden or is he sort of stuck with them, hoping no one will notice?
3: Well, one thing that I've noticed is that all of the hard left progressive and I mean hard left crazy crazy progressive advisors who caused this thing at the very beginning they were given control over the policy are gone they have all resigned or mo- most of them have resigned i think there's still some in there in protest usually because the administration was like hey wait a minute man you know we're we're getting in trouble here politically and they started to do things like, uh, you know, airlift deportations in mass and they kept title 42 and this really pissed them all off. And so I'm hopeful that maybe more pragmatic Democrats, you know, Clinton type Democrats, Obama type Democrats who were never this open borders, never anything like this uh, have maybe taken the helm. And maybe uh, they'll try to, you know, do some some Trumpian things that actually worked. But it's just a pipe dream. I actually don't really believe that's going to happen. I'm just hoping it does. But, you know,
1: it is. Um, we're talking again with Todd Bensman. And if you go over to Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, you'll see his uh, his page uh, and, and his writings on this subject. He, a piece a couple days ago. Uh, with co-authored with Mark Krikorian, who's from the Center of Immigration Studies also, about the immigration deal with Texas. The Mexican border states, they're so such a mess. They're, they're willing to work with Texas, but they're not getting any help from the federal government. Is that the base of the gist of that story?
3: This is fascinating. What happened is Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, put in place a very innovative, ingenious policy. They used the Texas Department of Public Safety safety inspection uh, of trucks to shut down trade from Mexico. They, they shut down trade at all of the America's busiest bridges. And within days, the Mexican governors on the states across from Texas came to the bargaining table mm. and they cut deals with Texas to shut down the illegal immigration on their side. Huh. And they have four deals with four different states. Uh, this is really unusual and interesting because it's essentially a state taking diplomatic prerogative from a from a White House, right, to force a, a sovereign nation to do its bidding. Uh, now, the we we it's still too early to know whether it's going to work, but Greg Abbott says that if he's not satisfied, he's putting the troopers back up on the bridges and he's going to shut them down again. Hmm. So look, look for that. That's going to be something really to watch right now. The national media got preoccupied with this thing where they're busing migrants to Washington, D.C., but that's just a silly sideshow. This is the main event, this thing at at the bridges where they're doing safety inspections. It takes like Three Texas troopers to just shut down the entire trade from Laredo, the busiest port of entry in America.
1: Well, and and, and, Todd, and Todd, you know Todd, this is an interesting question because I was reading a biography of um, Tip O'Neill, and Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House during the Reagan years, and Tip O'Neill ha- had a had a certain um, affinity for latin america you know he was that was his thing and he he gave talks and he said well i you know reagan could be in charge of his uh, stuff but i'm in charge of i'm going to be in charge of what i want latin america and if it was specifically foreign affairs of course the constitution leaves most of the understanding of foreign affairs with the executive branch right the presidency um so there's an interesting te- tension to lay out there like what what would happen if the republicans controlled the house Next January. And they said to the president, we won't approve your budget. We won't give you anything if you don't adjust your policies here. Or alternatively, in this case, which is very interesting, as you point out, could the um, could the House say to uh, uh, or could the House support U.S. House support um, Texas and other governors? Texas's governor and others and saying, hey, you, you know, do this policy like this. I mean, it's a conservatives should be nervous. Right. Because uh, this is sometimes what we worry about. Right. You'll get California will um, a liberal, you know, will push their uh, woke agenda on the world because they have a huge economy. Right. You got to be careful what you hope for. But it certainly seems possible. And you could make an argument that this isn't about wokeness and and sort of, um, you know, I mean, California has a law they passed that said they have to have a certain um, diversity makeup of corporate boards for example well they could try to make it so every board that does a business every company that does business in california has to have that same thing well it gets pretty close to making everybody do it but that's different in a certain sense you could make the argument of a national emergency where we're, our nation is being invaded uh but that's really interesting stuff to think of the governor it really texas yeah it-
3: yeah, uh, it really is. It's uh, just absolutely ingenious, in and if it works, it's even really a, a ingenious. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but at this, at this, at this point, you know, we'll know if it's going to work. Uh, but you know, the governor of Texas, with like a handful of <laughs> yeah. state troopers, <laughs> took over, took, yeah. took, took the state department's job over yeah. with Mexico.
1: Yeah. It is something. That's something to think of. All right. Todd Bensman, thank you. As always, it's busy to be Todd Bensman of the Center for Immigration Studies, the senior national security fellow uh, checking on the border. We appreciate it, Todd. Be safe out there. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And don't forget, go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you can listen to all of our interviews with Todd. Uh, We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed
1: Martin. For those of you that haven't heard, cancel culture is the latest trend among leftist corporations, politicians, and academics. To take down their political opponents, they dig up objectionable old writings, judge them by today's standards, and remove their opponent from positions of historical reverence. For instance... Because Thomas Jefferson made the mistake of owning slaves, even though that was common in his day, the left wants Jefferson to be canceled. The same goes for George Washington, Christopher Columbus, and even people who posted something ignorant on social media a few years ago. The problem with cancel culture is twofold. First, judging someone for what they did years ago by holding them to today's standards isn't fair. Eventually, all of us would probably be canceled. Second, cancel culture is awful because it's not evenly applied. For example, former governor Blackface Northam of Virginia got a free pass because he was on the right team politically. However, even the exceptionally awful historical heroes of the left get a free pass on cancel culture. Throughout all of world history, there's probably been no one who has contributed more to the proliferation of racism than Charles Darwin. He's lauded by leftist academics for his supposed masterpiece, On the Origin of Species. However, no one ever reads the rest of the title. The full title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That book laid the foundation for using the theory of evolution as an excuse to justify racism. However, Darwin really held nothing back in his sequel, entitled The Descent of Man. In this awful book, Darwin used questionable science to justify his view that the so-called civilized race of Europeans was superior to the primitive races found on other continents. He relished the idea that his superior race would one day wipe all of the inferior races out. Darwin's worldview is reprehensible and should be denounced by everyone. Yet the left holds Darwin up as a hero because he gave them an excuse to write off God.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future.